Exciting Radio is on the air! Sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a song that isn't being reviewed today. Correct. And welcome to the amazing show of the Amazing Records. And I'm Ken Mills. And joining me is Marty I'm, Ross. Ah, that's yeah. I understand who that is. That's you, Marty. Oh, yeah, I like that guy. Well, yeah, I do too. Yeah. I am one of the hosts of the Zilch podcast and we also have podcast and cheap talk and marty what are some of your credentials uh i i'm on the phone line and i'm paying for this call okay well that that works you're also in a band called the wigs yes if you're in the power pop and and the new monkeys right and i've also had songs in over 300 episodes of television and film so there you go you might have been listening to marty and not even realized it my mother has several times. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do on this show is we're going to talk about some of our favorite music, some amazing music, some amazing tunes, some amazing 45, some amazing singles, and just some amazing stuff all the way around. Two groovy guys talking about some groovy songs. Far out, huh? Yeah. Okay, cool. And no, this is not an episode of Zilch, but we are sticking within the kind of jangly guitars of the 60s. We hope to turn you on to some cool tunes today, maybe something you've never heard of. Our topic today is songs that we wouldn't pick right off the top, or what I'm calling not the obvious choices. Some of these tunes that we're going to pick to talk about today are some of the songs that are not the obvious choices when you think of the hit songs of the 60s or maybe the favorite go-to kind of thing. Some of these songs are somebody's favorite songs, right, Marty? Absolutely. Uh, There are so many songs from from the 1960s that contain a song that may have been one song for the band, and you can kind of tell from listening to the rest of the band's songs that for some strange reason they just connected on all cylinders for this one song and it stands the test of time and uh, that's what we're going to explore mm-hmm. and we each picked five songs and uh, a lot of these songs are going to have stories for example I was in a car and I heard yeah. this one or I was in the back of a truck or I was you know <laughs> just was... a little kid usually listening to whatever the adults had on but every once in a while something would like catch my ear and make me take notice 
It was yeah, a magical I, time. I remember being beaten several times during the music of some of these songs. Oh, so you were, like, physically assaulted while some of these songs were playing. I can understand why you picked them. Up. Yeah, I was physically assaulted as, as I requested it, actually. <laughs> Uh, I think that there's a there there's a magic moment in every song. I think that there's a there's a point where you sit there and you say that's the reason why I have one for a lot of songs. I don't know particularly which ones that we're talking about, so I don't. Uh, but I know that there's a magic moment in every song, and you know that's the way that I want to be able to talk about these songs. In my opinion, is that there's a certain section which is makes it particularly special above the specialness that it owns already. I agree. Yeah. Marty, would you like to tell the folks about yourself a little bit? I'm six foot two. I'm about 240 at the moment, but I'm on a slim fast diet. Uh, I've been declared mentally incompetent, and I feel that I am well qualified for the show. In 1965, I first started listening to AM radio as a kid when I got one for my birthday, one of those little portable Japanese transistor things which were all the state of the art and little did we know was the demise of western society (laughs) (laughs) what kind of music would you say that you tend to skew to as as uh your favorite well rock and roll if if the the term wasn't as loose then it is it is now but yeah uh rock and roll music but ranging from the true hall of famer inductees uh chuck berry little richard Elvis Presley, Pat Domino, uh, and on way to the Beatles in the 60s. And then it's a free-for-all. Lots and lots of different bands who had one hit, Wonders, and lots of bands that had two hits, uh, including the Monkees. Uh, uh, I also enjoyed swing music and, and folk music. But those were more things that I would listen to when I was absolutely sick of the, la- the very... 2700th time I listened to Hey Jude or, or Let Me by Paul Revere and the Raiders if I got really sick of it I would listen to the other stuff and it would cleanse my palate rather nicely so I've listened to a lot of different things I'm kind of like that myself I love anything with the jangly guitar that kind of mod sensibility if you will oh yeah the who yeah good 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 call anything with a Rickenbacker guitar usually can can get me excited as far as music wise by the way we should talk a little bit about what you did last night not a major thing but uh you got to do something very cool yeah as of last night really and i went to the hollywood bowl to go see the concert live version of back to the future with sixteen thousand screaming fans it was it was an amazing event and i uh Al Silvestri's music is still so poignant and and just wonderful and enthralling and hearing it live with added music that wasn't in the film, first of all you just would never have known it, it was so seamless, it was quite an amazing event and the people that were there were very young people that mo- lot of, most of them were most of them were born after the movie came out, so the movie is definitely a a cult it does two things at once that makes it into an icon film in my opinion one is that it's number one is that it's a a big huge box office mega mega thing but second of all it's a cult film too now it's very hard to do that trick I mean maybe 20 films in the history of mankind 
have done that. You know, where they're that big, where they can pack a stadium, uh, an outdoor arena. With <laughs> it's it was an amazing night. I had a great time. And you got to see someone uh, who I think every every guy uh, red blooded American has a crush oh, yeah. on this that was girl. Bob Zemeckis. I swear, Bob every Zemeckis. Boy. No, no. Um, I see what you're saying. Leah Thompson. I'm sorry. Ah, the lovely she Leah Thompson. She looked so good that all the guys there were drooling and were sitting there saying, you know, she's 53, 54, and you're drooling. And it's like, it's, it's, it was an attest, it's a testament to her good gene pool. And when I sat and got a, when I sat and stood next to her and I asked for a picture with her, she was so sweet. She said, fine. I said, my name's Marty. She goes, oh, well, that'll be easy for me to remember. <laughs> <laughs> So she's a very sweet, very nice lady, and uh, you know, and it was it was such a thrill uh, to be there at that gig. Yeah. Back to the Future really, really does hold up. So we encourage you. That's I, I think our staff pick this episode. Check out Back to the Future. Yeah. Sound it good? Very, okay. Yeah, it's great. Excellent. It's it's hard to believe that anybody that's listening has not seen that, but you never know. So so check out Back to the Future. Our first pick is by The Outsiders, and the song is called Time Won't Let Me. What are your thoughts on the song Time Won't Let Me, Marty? It's always been a favorite of mine, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's so well produced. It's produced beyond what the normal pale would have been for a 45 for some band from Cleveland, Ohio, would have yeah. had in 1965. It's just... An incredible sounding song, and uh, this, this, there's there's great moments in it. It has a great rock and roll solo in it. The guitar solo is really really concise and very Chuck Berry derivative, and fits perfectly with the A structure the song's in. These the energy is is completely over the top. It's, it never lets down, and uh, the uh, famous jazz uh, hornist. Chuck Mangione was plucked out of a bunch of people to be able to play that horn part that goes at the ah that's that's him playing that and that's it's very well done it's got it had to have been the right way to do it and that is my moment in the song it just all comes together at that moment that's the amazing I, moment right there yeah but since it wasn't my pick what do you think Ken well uh, to me this this is one of those ones that caught my ear as a child uh i remember a rainy day and being in traffic and this song came on that am radio and it just snapped my neck going wow check that out and the song was a top five hit in 1966 so that's not bad that's pretty good and the weird thing is that i was i was looking up information on this and it said that the outsiders uh turned out four top 40 singles so they were a four hit wonder i wonder at what point because we all say oh well that person was a one hit wonder we even kind of say well that person was a two hit wonder when do we stop uh keeping track of how many actual you know <laughs> hits that a that a band or person had you know well, i think we stop at one hit wonder when we don't remember the other three <laughs> it, it would be weird if you actually bought some bands uh, or artists' greatest hits, and it was just like a one, you know, one song single. Yeah, they did that to 
few years ago, I don't remember what label it was, but there was a whole album of Louie Louie versions. <laughs> Which is awesome. What a great song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and as you mentioned, this uh, came from Cleveland, Ohio. Kind of scary that this happened. But uh, if you haven't checked out The Outsiders, check out some of their stuff. And let's listen to this amazing track right now. with Time Won't Let Me. I don't think you get much better for a kickoff for the first song on our show here. I really do like the, the whole way that that song, the, the drum, the, 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 the drum intro to the, the whole thing. It, you know, you'd swear it was session guys. Yeah. It's really, really good enough to be a set, but I don't think there was a working session team in Cleveland at the time. <laughs> For rock and roll. So yeah, yeah, not as such, not as such. This was the first hit for the Outsiders, who were a Cleveland-based group that scored three other U.S. Top 40 hits in 1966. Their lead singer, Sonny Jurassi. Well, Sonny was also the lead singer for Climax, a one-hit wonder with Precious and Few. Right, of which I 
we don't want to discuss that song now, but the only thing I will say about Precious and Few was I thought for sure that the association would rip them and sue them for the melody of that song, which is just right off of uh, one of their songs. Precious and Few in a moment's peace you can share. I mean, that's like it's, right it, off of an association song. I mean, it's it's just... It's there. They don't know how many times I wish that I could hold you. You know, it's a, it's precious and few. I thought it was the association when I heard it. I'm going to do a little comparison of that right now. Okay. Cherish is the word I use to describe. So that's pretty good, Marty. That's that's a good pickup. That's a good pickup. Well, thanks. Also from the Outsiders, Jimmy Fox, who was the drummer on the Outsiders' first album, later formed the James Gang with Joe Walsh. So there you go. My God, how many? I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, you got to figure out in the middle of Cleveland. You got to work with who's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Rockford. No. <laughs> Cleveland's a big city. Yeah, yeah, Rockford is not a big city. <laughs> Rockford is Rockford is a well, I love my town Rockford, but it, for years it has been and always will be a pit stop for the Chicagoans to get to Galena and their their cabins. Right. Honey, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, look, Rockford's ahead. <laughs> and we should note that not only is Rockford, Illinois the home of our beloved Marty Ross, but also our beloved Cheap Trick. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Hooray so for that, them. No matter how you dice it, I'm fifth. <laughs> and if you want to hear some amazing records from Cheap Trick, you should check them out. On speaking of how this tune was recorded, Mert Masden, sounds yeah. like a Batman villain's name, yeah. he, he said, We could sense that this was not just any tune, but a tune with great hit potential. So we got a hold of our East Coast manager for Capitol Records, Roger Karshner, not Kirshner, but Kirshner, and played the master record form over Missed the phone. Missed it by that much. Missed it by that much. He said right away, hold on, I do believe you guys got a hit on your hand, and I'm coming to Cleveland in a few days, and we will definitely talk some more. The rest is history. All the guys on the record made up their own parts music-wise, and I arranged the background singers. The horns were added on afterwards. So It's amazing that song wasn't even uh, recorded with the horns originally. And it's one of those yeah. moments that actually put the song into the stratosphere and oh, made it yeah, the hit that absolutely. we're talking about today. Yeah. And now, one of Marty's picks. Ah. Five O'Clock World by the Vogues. Oh, yeah. Well, it's... Great track. Marty, what makes this an amazing record? I think what makes it is that makes it an amazing track is that it combines a lot of movement and things that are happening in in pop music at the time. It's a definitely, it's definitely sourced from the folk world, 
and it's definitely moving towards a rock and roll sense. It's trying to get a folk band to sound, what would a folk band sound like with a rock and roll sense? And they have attitude in there. They're using their voices as percussion. The uh, whole thing is bathed in beautiful reverb. And I think that song is uh, a one-off. There's nothing that could ever sound like that. Even a different song with the same arrangement, with the same kind of vocals and stuff, it's just as that moment, that particular recording, that band happened to make a recording of a song that's just a phenomenal standalone hit. I love that song. And there's no way that any band could do a cover of it and make it sound like that. It's that individual. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's listen to Five O'Clock World by The Vogues. Every morning just to keep a job I gotta find my way through the hustle and mob Sounds of the city pounding in my brain While another day goes down the drain But it's a five o'clock world when the whistle blows No one owns a piece of my time And there's a five o'clock for me inside my clothes Thinking that the world looks fine Quartet from Turtle Creek, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. Coming from the heartland of America. Oh, this, cheap trick, <laughs> this is their best known song, but they placed three others in the top ten. You're the one, yeah. Turn Around, Look at Me, and My Special Angel. So that's pretty cool. Now this song has some really neat distinctions soundtrack wise. It was the opening of the Drew Carey show for the first two seasons. Later, the intro theme was changed to Cleveland Rocks by Ian Hunter. So that's pretty cool. And it was in a bunch of different movies as well. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Big Fish, so on and so forth. And was covered by Bowling for Soup. So there's a band name. Not, Not saying much about it, but it is a name. One of these days, we'll, one, one, one episode, we'll have to do uh, cover versions of favorite songs that yes. might not 
that would be maybe less than stellar or surprisingly good. Yeah. But nothing in between. There you go. Works right. for me. We'll do it. All right. Next up is a pick from me, Ken. And it is the American breed with Bend Me, Shape Me. This is a song about a contortionist dream. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I love about this song is I remember uh, I would drum along with it. And there was this suitcase that I had that when you took everything out of the suitcase, it had the same tone or resonance. I swear that that's what I thought it was when I was a kid. It was a box or a suitcase or something. Doesn't it, it? It doesn't sound like an actual drum. It sounds like just someone like... You could even like maybe hit a pillow or a bed and get that same sound. Right. So I was that annoying kid that would like pound on things, you know. Uh, it was... You that, oh, you were that one. Yes, I was one of those. And playing you and the Bam Bam. Yeah, I, I was playing air guitar before it was cool, so, you know. Which I don't know if it ever really was cool, but uh, <laughs> if you're by this... yourself, I mean, go at it. You know, <laughs> There's nothing like playing air guitar and someone walks in. Oh, yeah. I... You feel like you've been caught with your pants down, but you're just playing air one, guitar. Yeah, I had a one worse than that. I actually was playing guitar and winging the. And somebody would walk in. I go, Oh my god! I was totally in the moment. Why'd you walk in? I was in the middle of sugar, sugar. Honey, honey, you are my candy girl. So, yeah. what makes this an amazing song to you, Marty? Then we shape me is a is is a is a song that's actually to me a precursor to the Chicago sound, the horn sound. I mean, there's not many rock songs at that point that had a horn section in it, and this is one of those songs that does. And uh, I think that it's brilliant in the way that it's a great pops tune. It has really good movement. The rhythm is great, but there are horns in it, and the horns don't detract. They actually, they really move the song along, and it's kind of like the same thing somebody would do today with a keyboard, with the pads. They would they would have some sort of background that goes back of the rhythm, and this is what the horns do. Dun, and then when they build up to the point, dun, 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 boom, and me, that is, a, that is the moment for me. Where the, it's a great, great setup to the chorus, and once it does in that, that little space, da 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 da, boom, bend me, shape me, and then the chorus comes in. Is, that's my magic moment for the song. It's, it just leads it up to it, and the chorus goes from there. Great song. And then even when it lands, it goes back to that. I know. It goes back to ground zero with the suitcase. Picks you right back up and makes it magical again. It never lets up. And it, right. it, it cooks from beginning to end. And here is the American breed with Bend Me, Shape Me.
this song did pretty good uh, as far as a single. Yep, 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 yep. Released by the American Breed, and it peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in early 1968 and went all the way to number 24 in the United Kingdom, the land of the Beatles. This has also well, been featured in quite a few well, soundtracks. You said it's 1968? Yeah. Wow. That sounds so much more like 1966. Well, check this out. Yeah. Our first song was the was by a band called The Outsiders, right? Right. Well, Bend Me, Shape Me was originally recorded by The Outsiders as a track on their album The Outsiders in 1966. But the best-known version of this song is this 1967 single released by the American Breed. Well, there you have it. How's, how's so, that for ears, folks? There you go. So the song was originally recorded by the outsiders in 66 this came out in 67 became a top five hit in 68 so they, there's some life to this track but oh. there, you know my thing about them being a precursor to the to the horn thing it sounds to me like the horns were added because that was kind of like what the buckinghams and the gary puckett in chicago uh, you know this is like getting into chicago's sound. where are they from the group was formed in cicero illinois I told you. Cicero, Illinois. Wow. So That's right. That's the Chicago suburb. You see, I can tell the Chicago song. I never knew that. I honestly never knew that the American Breed was from Chicago. But they're from Chicago. So, you know, that 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 horn sound, 1966, that was just what, if you had a band and you were like, go, went into Chicago to record, they'd say, uh-huh. you got to put horns on it. But, you know, there's no horns in the band. But, you know, everybody had to do it. Absolutely. Believe it or not, not one of my favorites. (laughs) Believe it or not, they later became Rufus. Oh, remember from Shaka Khan? Shaka Khan? Shaka Shaka? Yeah. So the American breed became Rufus. So there you go. Right, you guys, we got to change our name. What do you want to change it to? Rufus. What? Ruthless? No, Rufus. Ru- Rufus. Trust me on this. Yeah. You have your teeth out? You mean Rufus, right? Rufus. What? Put your teeth in Toothless and, and ruthless. And I know this girl named Chaka. Believe me, guys, you're going to go far. It's going to be really, really good. But what about the Bend Me, Shape Me and the American Breed? Now, the American Breed isn't happening. That name isn't cool enough. We need Rufus. I mean, really. <laughs> Do you like that when people say, I mean, really? Yeah, I really, that's my, I mean, really is one of my favorite ones. My mother used that on me. Yeah, my, my, my grandmother was great at that. She would, she would do that really all the Martin time. Mar- I mean, Martin Dean. Marty, I mean, really. Kenneth Paul Mills, get in here. I mean, really. Pick your oh, shoes yeah. up. All three names are Yeah, trouble. when you get the three names, that is when you're in trouble. Yeah. Three names. Martin, Martin Dean Ross, you get in here right now. You speak to your father. <laughs> I don't want him, Ma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the next track. If we're going towards the next record, I think it's going to be one of mine. It, it's going. It, it absolutely is a Marty a pick. Here. This is so cool. Yep. All right. And our next choice is a Marty pick. You Were On My Mind by the Wii Five. Marty, what makes this an amazing record? The whole thing. The fact that it was a folk song, uh, 
and but it taken a pretty famous folk song that was a staple of Ian and Sylvia, I think. Uh, that this is kind of like uh, one of my hallmark songs when I was a kid. When I first heard this song on on the radio, I thought I thought it was the coolest song I ever heard. Now, upon reflection, listening to this song, it has a couple of magic moments, but it is. This is a song that actually went, becomes a winner despite its own production because to listen to it, it's just slipshod. Sounds like the band is a backing band that doesn't really know the song and they didn't have much time and they didn't rehearse very well. But it has the moment at the end of the song where you wait for this whole thing and it starts building up and it just keeps building up, building up, building up. And then in the end, the magic moment is... Uh, the last vocal note, which has a great undertone with the guy singing with her, and it has a beat that is really strong. Boom, 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 boom. And that, the end of the song is worth the wait because it's really strong. It's really strong. And the whole thing is, uh, what, how long is this song? It's less than two and a half minutes. Yeah, um, let me find out. I think they're from uh, the Bay Area. I believe. Yeah, I love that song. And there's been a lot of people that have covered that song, and it's rightfully so. It's it's an inspirational song, especially the way that they did it. Okay, here we are. The song is two minutes and thirty-seven seconds of bliss. Yeah, there it is. It's great stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. And m one of my favorite moments. Well, actually, there's several in this song, but the one that I absolutely love is just as it's building at the end, and it's building, and it's building, and it's building, and then it just drops, and then that drum beat comes in, and then that jangly guitar bit. Right. I there's, love it. It's, it's just a Rickenbacker. Love it. It's a Rickenbacker. It's a Rickenbacker. A mile off. And I believe the guy that was in the band... He he did play the track on that, but you know, was, apparently nobody in California could play a twelve-string Rickenbacker uh, because you know McGuinn and all these other people. There were no session guys that played twelve-string Rickenbacker. So if you want to be on your album and it's 1965, bring a twelve-string Rickenbacker. Nobody will play it. <laughs> I'm just I'm giving I'm giving advice for people that are going into the music business in 1965. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here is the track, You Were On My Mind, by The Wii Five. Sounded like a DJ there. Yeah. When I woke up this morning, you were on my mind, and you were on I got wounds to bind. So I went to the corner just to ease my pain. Just to ease my pain. I got trouble. I got worried. I came home. 
Alrighty, as you said, it was originally performed by Sylvia Fricker and her then-husband Ian Tyson as the duo Ian and Sylvia. Now there's a name, you know. Yeah. I actually think I have an Ian and Sylvia t-shirt. No, I don't. Um, nice. No. They actually recorded this for their 1964 album Northern Journey. In 1965, the song was covered with this up-tempo version with a slightly altered lyric and melody by the California pop quintet, We Five. The song we just heard reached number three on Billboard's Hot 100 chart in September of 1965 and topped the easy listening chart for five weeks. It's almost a little too hyper to be easy listening as far as I'm concerned, but it does it does move between that cool peacefulness to the the great romps that are in it would you agree oh sorry i was asleep what did you say uh, <laughs> that it's hard to imagine this song as an easy listening song yeah. because you know i know they were put into easy listening because the band was easy listening the band yeah. was uh i listened to the album the other day and there's a couple of really really good good versions of songs there but they're all very easy living, easy listening. Okay. Uh, the their version of uh, wise men say, uh, I, uh, "Only fools." Uh, I can't help falling in love. Help. They've Man. got a great version of that song, okay. uh, and it's it's really worth listening to only for that. But the rest of it, it's kind of like it is. Uh, it's pretty sleepy. Uh-huh. Then the song. You were on my mind comes out of nowhere, and it's like, it is done as a, for them it's it was you know it might as well be you know, it might as well be a Black Sabbath, yeah, because yeah. it was so rock and roll for them. And of course, Susanna Hoffs covered this on the soundtrack sure. of the 1992 film Fathers and Sons. So. I, I like anything she does because she often will use a Rickenbacker as well. So that's true. She's she's a Rickenbacker kind of gal. Easy on the eyes. You don't need to use that. I don't. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Easy on the eyes. Jesus. <laughs> what? What are you, your own dad or something? Yes, I'm my own, I'm my own grandpa. Anyway, that is, that's just that's just so that's. <laughs> That can't be. That can't be used. I mean, easy on the eyes. It's almost as if, like, saying, "Then turning myself away and looking at a construction site would hurt." Yes. You know, or uh, you know, watching. Well, you always tele- wonder where a saying like that comes from. You know, like who was the first the guy? Sounds like it came from a very smart gentleman at some point. Some really smart guy was sitting at a bar and is sitting there, and it's a pickup line. It's one of those bad, you know, it's like, uh, you know, bad pickup lines where it says, hey, haven't I seen you somewhere before? Yeah. And, and But a good one is, hey, you know, you're easy on the eyes. I've never heard that. What is your best pickup line, Marty Ross? I have money. That that works. <laughs> I think that that works. <laughs> no. no. Uh, what was the ones I used to use? Uh, well... There was a time when the TV show I was on would be on TV and I might be in a restaurant or something like that. And it would be one of those things where I'd say, hey, to the pretty waitress, look at the TV. We'll change the TV to Channel 5. Okay, they change to Channel 5 and then they'd see me and say, you're on TV right now. <laughs> oh, imagine that. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. But it worked. That's the weird thing. One last thing about this song. You Were On My Mind by the Wii 5 was ranked the number four song of 1965. So that's pretty good company to be in. Well, what that tells you is, uh, is to disseminate the numbers is that it peaked at number three, but it was in the top 40 for a long time. Exactly. It was in there for all the summer. It was one of those go-to songs that sat there and rounded out the hour playlist on the, all the AM stations across the country. And that's the way that you get to become a, a big, big song, and one that's lasted a long time. Because, uh, you know, one of these days we'll have to do uh, songs that were also what were number one and number two. And I'll guarantee you that, you know, for 1965, it was, it was, it was a bit, there were songs that we know as being purely the most iconic songs in the history of mankind. Agreed 100%. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's weird how the voices blend? Like it almost, it's, it's almost hard to tell if this is a man or a woman singing. My niece, Rebecca, she creeps out at the song because she thinks at the beginning of it, it's her voice. Really? And, and, and that this got kind of like a creepy girl's voice. It sounds weird to her. And I say, no, those are actually two people singing it at the same time. And it was mixed in a way that it sounded like it was predominantly her, but, uh, you know, I, I particularly think that that also lent itself to its individualness as the sound of the voice. And it would make it almost impossible to, like, you know, do this, do this right. Sure. You'd have to have a really good blending of voices. You do. Well, our next track on Amazing Records, the Not Obvious Choices episode, is The Who, So Sad About Us. And I picked this one because when you think of The Who, you know, we talked about one-hit wonders, two-hit wonders, three-hit wonders. It seems like classic rock has made it so that some of the best songs of The Who have almost been forgotten. I mean, if you've got XM serious or whatever and you're listening it seems like the same nine or so who songs will be played at any given time sadly this is not one of them this is song has almost been forgotten but it is the who's so sad about us and this is a breakup song i mean this is a sad breakup song and it it, it encapsulates that first love is over and it's just very sad. But it's that great who power pop sensibility, if you will. It rocks when it needs to and has tons of jangly guitars. What makes this an amazing record for you, Marty? Well, I think the big difference between this song and anybody else that would do it is, yet again, it's Keith Moon. And the song has this, this amazing Tasmanian devil on the drums who somehow is keeping the thing going forward and it just seems like it's just always about to fall apart yes. and it never does mm-hmm. and that's the great quality about early Who songs is that there's this fragility and strength at the same time which no other band ever has done before or since and it makes it into something completely unique and the lyrics here are concise it is a sad song uh, and the, it's just there all over the place. You can't, I can't imagine being Shell Tammy and going into the studio and hearing this band and then looking at them and saying, let's try that again. <laughs> 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 you 
because you know that's how the band is. You know, maybe a little bit less. Uh, Keith, do you think you can? Yeah, right. I'll be a little bit less. Uh, yeah, I'll try it. What? No, that's the way I am, mate. No. And and then and, you, and, listen and the, you listen to the back end of the thing. There's this whole mess that's being recorded together, and it's John Entwistle that's the secret of why the song is steady. He's the steady to Keith Moon's, you know, Keith Moon's driving tirade, and over all this stuff is is a Townsend who's thrashing away at his guitar, and the singer Roger Daltrey who is telling this, us the story. It's an amazing band, an amazing period, and you're right. I think that the reason why the other stuff gets played more because they developed during the FM stage, and this was them at their AM stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe it gets remembered by FM players that, that born over to Sirius, to the deep tracks, classic vinyl, all that, that they don't play as many older Who songs, especially from uh, Who Sell Out prior to prior that. And there's some really great songs, really, really great songs, and you're right, they get kind of ignored for no good reason, really. And uh, I truly believe that that's one of the best best songs that the whoever did was so sad about us. And they never did really anything that was that remotely depressing. And yet, you f how many songs do you feel like fast dancing to that are sad? Not many. But, you know, you mentioned Secret Weapons in this song. John Entwistle on the bass and background vocals. He does an oh. excellent job on the background vocals. Yeah, that's true. That's enough. La, 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 la. Let's see. Exactly. And, and you know, you don't think a guy named Ox would have that much uh, coolness about him. Here. But, yeah, he does. He's a very awesome I, guy. I believe... <laughs> And then the part where it goes la 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 la, he like he like chokes the guitar like chung 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 chung. <laughs> yeah, I can, but I just put the guitar down. And oh, okay. <laughs> I, it didn't like what I I didn't I didn't like what I played because I didn't do it right. But, no, uh, it sounded great. It sounded no, great. it sounded great, but it wasn't played right. So there's, it's uh, it, 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 it's okay. It's on a Gretsch anyway through a Fender, so it's not going to be close. Oh, a Gretsch. Another great guitar. I love guitars. I love guitars so much. Well, let's check out the Who's version of So Sad About Us.
sound this is uh, one of the who's most covered songs here are some of the people that have covered so sad about us Sean Cassidy that's not a typo the primal scream the breeders the jam Dexter Womrebber duo the the Dexter Womrebber duo which sounds like a vacuum cleaner doesn't it the, yeah. With now, now, now with your Dyson Womrebber duo. With a speech de- defect. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Barbara Walters for. <laughs> the All Music Guide says it is a definitive Who song, and hundreds of bands have based their entire careers on this one song. And I really think it's a really good representation of what I call power pop. What about you? Yes, I also think it represents the ultimate uh, fact that power pop still is a niche and always was a niche form because this song, as great as it is, you just reeled off a bunch of people that never made a hit with it. The Who never really had a hit with it. It was, but it's still admired as being a power pop song, and and it's that's the form that there's not a radio format for right like there's no xm serious station power power pop pop. sad isn't it so sad about that so sad about us that's great you just you ought to keep that don't take that out because that part there is very humorous it's the best part of the show why would i cut it out yes that's a magic moment right there this magic magic moment So different and so new. With your lips so close to mine. So close and yet. (laughs) Should have not had the garlic toast. (laughs) Our next track, our next amazing record, is Talk Talk by The Music Machine. Marty, this is one of your choices. What makes Talk Talk by The Music Machine an amazing record? It's such a horrible subject. This guy is talking about trying to go out and and party and he has to stay home because he has a child the worst <laughs> thing in the world are you kidding he's the social life's a dud my name is really mud 
God, I'm up to here in lies. I guess I'm down to size. Talk, talk. It's talk, talk is is kind of like the saying. This is this code word for this baby. I, I, I just I've never figured a song out lyrically wise. It's very dark with this guy that's just you know doesn't want to be responsible for this kid, and he wants to get back out and party. But uh, the he song just wants to get out. The song musically sounds like nothing else. I, I swear at the beginning that there's a horn. Somebody did a. It sounds like a bicycle horn. Don don da da don don da da don don. We don't even have to play the song. You could just do that. Yeah. <laughs> you could do like the whole song. Yes, I could do this. I I could do the whole song, but uh, to listen to me play it would probably you know, make people not want to further go into exploring to hear the original. Plus, we have that problem that you you have a fee if you play, and the fee is even more increased if you if we want you to, to rehearse, and we can't even afford if we ask you not to play, so... That's true. All of those things are true, and... and, and that's if a sliding wanna, scale. I'm through the Argentinian National Bank, so that's where, that's where it all has to go through. But, you know, the thing about Talk Talk is... The, the greatest thing about them was the visual, the way they looked, because they wore all leather outfits. They were all black leather outfits. They looked like bikers. But here was the thing that killed me when I was a kid, when I saw them on, I believe, God, where the action is or something happening or one of those things. One of or, Shindig or one of those things. One of, yeah, Shindig. Yeah. They wore gloves on both hands. <laughs> <laughs> and they had their fingers cut out on them. <laughs> Like, I, I tried to put on. I took a pair of old winter gloves. My mother got so pissed off at me. I cut off my winter gloves. It was the middle of the summer. I cut off my gloves <laughs> to see if I could play. I couldn't play because the glove was in the way. No matter how much I cut the strings off. So there I was trying to be like Neil Bonnewell. Is that what this guy's name was? I believe Sean Bonnewell. There you go, Bon. You'd think we'd do the research before the airing, you know, before we do this. And you think, but but it makes it more fun being on the high wire. Mm-hmm. So in any case, I'm up there playing guitar, and this is like like I spoke before. My mother did walk up into my room and looked at me and said, "What on earth are you doing?" As with my English mother, so I said, "What? I'm just playing guitar." She says, "You cut the hole in the gloves. What are you doing?" I'm going, "Oh, I had no excuse. What could I say?" That I watched this band on TV and I'm emulating them. I couldn't tell that to my mother. It's, you know, because back then emulation wasn't good if it was from television. Oh no, no, no. This, you know, so it got you sent straight to your room. And back then that wasn't a cool thing. You didn't have a PlayStation Three, no, cable, no, and the no. internet. No, you didn't have anything. You had four walls. AM radio, so it's, comic it's, books. Well, and the radio. Yeah, those those were allowed. Yeah. So in any case. The the moment that's really great for this song uh, is is the opening. The very opening of the song immediately grabs you because nothing sounds anything like it. It has a drum fill that's really nice. Uh, it has this guitar sounds that do sound like they're with like harmony guitars with uh-huh. silver tone amps. It sounds cheap and it sounds like nothing else, and that's what I think is cool about it. Well, intro it, brother. Okay. Oh, right now? Yeah. You want me to play it? Oh, yeah, play it right on your guitar. Sure, go for it. Uh, I'll turn the distortion up, because that's what you have to have. And I'd have to pick up some... <laughs> 
only does he have an award-winning smile, folks, but he can play guitar. So there you go. So here we are with the Music Machines version of Talk Talk. Take it away. Complication, and it's an old child. Consider my reputation as something more than what I know it serves me right, but I can't sleep at night. Have to hide my face or go some other place. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't cry out for justice and admit that I was wrong. I stay in hibernation. songs that screams punk rock yeah that's it and the guys that are in this band look like the guys in school that you didn't know if they were burnouts troublemakers or whatever but you knew there was something going on with this band as far as how the song did it was a single and it had talk talk backed with the song come on in became a hit when it charted at number 15 on the Billboard's Hot 100. Following their rising success, the band toured to promote the single, but were forced to hastily record their debut album when touring concluded. Bonnie Wells expressed his disapproval by saying, We recorded the Turn On album after a 30-day tour. Mark's fingers were literally bleeding. I could hardly speak, much less sing. Nonetheless, their debut album, Turn On, The Music Machine, was released in December 31, 1966 on the original sound label. So they had that uh, pretty big song and they had to get out on the road and record an album. Boy, things went fast back then, didn't they? Well, they went they went fast because uh, because the people that were in the power of doing things felt that at any moment music in itself would fall flat and change completely. So they they wanted to put these songs into a mix where the song would fit style-wise. And admittedly, you know, you sit there and you say, well, a year later, if you would have released uh, Talk Talk, it might not have been big because it was a different sound going on. 
Yeah, and and I don't think people realize how big this song was at the time. This is one of those songs that, like, we were calling this episode the not the obvious choices. Right. And and this is one of those songs that like has fallen between the cracks. Yes, you know it. Yes, you've heard it. But it's not one of those ones that they beat you to death with. No. Yeah. It's it's it kind of falls along the line where we discussed about. You were on my mind was went to number three, which was very high, but it maintained a, a chart presence for a long time. I suspect this song at number fifteen still maintained a chart presence. This is a national chart too, right? That right. Quoting from? Yeah. I mean, this song was regionally big at different times at different places and went up and down and up. You know, it it had national presence for a long time. You know, and a long time meaning that you know it could have been a played. Uh, for a number of months, three, two or three months, and it, I, the thing about it is, is that the sound, nothing else sounded like it. It was mixed in because it didn't sound repetitious of the rest of the playlist. And to I mean, me, this is this is one of those songs that, like I said, this is where punk rock came from. And believe it or not, Alice Cooper, the original punk, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Dr. Shock, the uh, the horror master, Alice Cooper, uh, covered this track, so that's pretty cool. Check it out if you are so inclined. Our next track on Amazing Records is The Kinks, See My Friend. Yeah. I picked this song because it's not an obvious choice. When you think about The Kinks, what do you think of, Marty? What do I think of with The Kinks? Well, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big... I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, I think of them as being the uh, step brothers. You know, of of rock and roll, they're not uh, considered up there in the memory when people start talking about British music, and they're really they really are. Uh, <clears throat> I always said that if I could fit a sixth member into my all British all star '60s team, it would be Ray Davies for the writing. But you'd be also missing out on. Dave's guitar playing, which was, which is just stellar. I mean, just great guitar stuff. And a song like "See My Friends" is a song that fits in between, uh, in, in between a lot of stuff for them. Uh, this, and it's kind of their, it's kind of a psychedelic-y, kind of a monotony, indiv- uh, very different kind of song that is. Still one of their great songs, and doesn't sound like anything else from their catalog. No, it doesn't. And before anyone thinks, well, the Beatles kind of did what the Kinks did on that song with Norwegian Wood, this song beat it by a cool two months. So check that out. The Kinks coming in with it first. It's a rare moment of, of where Ray Davies is feeling the pinch and is writing a song after fashion. That uh, <laughs> the other than the other way around because I never really heard a song that the Kinks did that ever really sound fashionable. It always was edgy and against the grain and something that would always surprise you. But here we see him and doing it in my estimation a successful way of of being uh, uh, how to fit the Kinks in into into that era into that that time and I love that song well it was released in July of 65 in the UK and in September of 65 in the US 
Let's listen to The Kinks, See My Friend. number 10 in the UK singles chart, but yeah. not so much here, uh, sadly. Right. It was one of the first Kinks songs that I remember hearing from the album and not the single. So this uh-huh. is actually more of a, you know, it's it almost cuts as an album cut, too. Yeah. You know, because it's not a strong, it's not strong, but number 10 in the UK, well, that's, you know, it's pretty good. The song has a bit of sadness with it. Ray Davies has been heard to say that the song is about the death of his older sister Renee, who lived for a time in Ontario, Canada. Upon her return to England, she fell ill due to an undiagnosed hole in her heart and died while dancing at a nightclub. Uh. She also gave him his first guitar for his 13th birthday. The inspiration for the song came from a stopover in Bombay during the Kinks' 1965 Asian tour when a jet-lagged Davies encountered fishermen chanting on their way to do their morning work. So that's what kind of inspired that 
Oh, uh, that's a great I, that's a great story. I didn't know that part either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the Kinks, but obviously, you know, I didn't know that part. You know what's strange is that sometimes, you know, what are, all these songs that we're exploring today, you know, they have stories behind them. Some of them are shallower than others. Some are pretty deep. Some of them are happy. Some are sad. What's really interesting is that they all fit into this tapestry of this of of a great era of music that is so rich with diversity. I mean, it's an incredible time to be listening to music in the 1960s, especially when you add the Beatles after you know in 1960 November 1963. When you add them, and then you add all the people that came over after fashion. I mean. Who would have thought that all these bands that would have just come over just and been promoted and recorded and their records pushed uh, and actually had them... And actually there's talent and lots of really great talent in that. That doesn't happen very often when you just stick somebody in front of them. Hey, hey, they're from England. They're Listen to them. And, you know, many of them were... And most of them were really good. Yeah, absolutely. It, does, it doesn't happen a lot in the history of music where you follow a fashion and it becomes better than they thought it would be and I really think that the kinks do not get enough credit and I think if you're obviously if you're listening to this episode since we're on the zilch feed you're a monkeys fan I encourage you to check out the kinks and while we're at it the the hollies I think both of those bands are underrated in some way here in the USA yeah I believe that if you would have done a couple of things there that that you know i mean the hollies and the kinks are, are by themselves standalone really really great things different philosophies but still great in their own way and you know i mean it proves that you don't have to get along with somebody to be able to make a great band i mean we've done the who today infamous for not getting along the uh-huh. kinks they don't get along uh, you know the, the thing is there's a lot of things about just being in a band together where the magic can be uh, just in the music and not off stage but more lucky we're lucky to have that music product you know the musical entity known as 1965 66 67 and onwards music uh, it stands out regardless of what behind the scenes shenanigans was going on with the band Mm -hmm. and now with a marty pick 96 tears by question mark and the Mysterians. That's a name that I don't think anybody would say, yeah, that's the name you should go with. What do you think about that, Marty? I think it was the coolest name. I believe it caused caused questions and never nobody knew what it was and it made just as much of a just as much of an inquiry into the band as the song did. I, I, what is how do you pronounce it? It's question mark or whatever, but that song is for the garage music and garage band mentality there is no other higher form than this song it is completely perfection the whole song from start to finish is like a well-honed opera and it was done just on a take and the organ the way that it plays and interplays and goes whole notes half notes staccato sixteenths goes four quarter notes it does whole notes. It's going back and forth, and it's playing along with this guy that's singing about his breakup. I believe it's just one of the greatest songs of its type ever recorded. There is, it just is to me. Well, it's my favorite song of the day. 
Well, there you go. Yeah. And here is 96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. Michigan. Detroit! In 1962, the group took its name from a 1957 Japanese science fiction film, The Mysterians. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. There it is. And Question Mark, the lead singer there, he, uh, <laughs> kind of a bizarre name there. He, a- he actually wrote this song four years before the, he joined the band, and the name of the poem that he wrote was called Too Many Teardrops. And that's what eventually became this song. I think this song has a fairly good social impact, wouldn't you say? It's a social impact, and if you're talking about the fact that it's maybe the first all-Latino group ever to have a hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if Valens had, had a band that was all-Latino, but this was definitely a Latino band from Detroit. Definitely an oddball thing. 
Yeah. And it's become a rival to Louie Louie for, you know, who's the best garage band song in the world ever? You know, and it's like uh, Louie Louie is right up there with it, but it's much simpler and more of a dumb song. Uh-huh. Uh, where it, it, musically, whereas this one is lyrically, uh, you know, it's it's very cohesive in terms of. <laughs> I mean, there is some uh, very naughty sexual phrasings going on in this song, very yeah. naughty. I mean, during the bridge, he's, you know, he's talking about becoming very friendly with a girl. Oh yeah. I mean, and so you know, and and that's. Uh, my magic moment for this song is is when it comes out of that and back into I'll just cry, I'll just cry. Yeah. I'll just cry. He's gonna he's going to cry, ninety six tears. Right, which is an unusual angle. We were talking earlier about pickup lines, and this you know if <laughs> if you don't go home with me, I'm gonna cry. I didn't know that ever worked. Uh, I don't think it ever worked. Um, I'm well, gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. Ninety-six <laughs> tears. <laughs> oh, you will? Okay. You're dreamy. <laughs> Here's a Kleenex. This song sold over one million copies and won a BMI award for over three million airplays. So that's pretty cool. Well, BMI is is a reputable company. I I, I stand for them, and I will uh, I will count for them and say that they're. Their, their numbers are pretty good. Agreed. My next choice is Strawberry Alarm Clocks, Incense, and Peppermints. What a weird, weird song. I love this track. This song had the number one spot for November 25th, 1967. Incense and Peppermint spent 16 weeks on Billboard's chart, finally reaching the number one spot. The single earned a gold disc from the RIAA, on December 7th, 1967, for sales of one million copies. Now nobody's selling a million but Taylor Swift. Kind of sad to see how things have changed. Marty, what makes Strawberry Alarm Clock's Incense and Peppermints an amazing song, or, or an amazing record? Uh, it's an amazing record because it takes you away Wherever you are, wherever, whatever you're doing, no matter where, no matter what time of day it is, you hear that song and you are drawn into it and taken into a different space. It's a, such an unreal world within the realm of that song. It's, uh, it's, it sounds like, it sounds like four or five bands got together and did one song. It sounds like more than just one band. There's a there's a garage mentality with a, with a farfisa. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of a song about psychedelia, and there's these vocalists that sound like they're from the association, with the lead singer that doesn't sound like a lead singer. Good sense, innocence, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, and it's just an odd, and it has an opening with a tom-tom again. You know. It's a it's a very very unusual song. Uh, on a side note, I, my friend that I've had for many many years, who's in a band called Grey Dog uh, that play out here in L.A. They just opened up for Randy Bachman a while back and Los Lobos. They uh, 
the, the, the bass player in the band is from the Strawberry Alarm Clock. Really? Yeah. So, wow. Uh, the, the members have scattered about, done what they're doing. I don't know what they do now. They probably have some form of the band. They could play that song forever. But definitely a great song. If anybody knows what it means, forward it to me. Yeah, really. singer sounded one way the rest of the band sounded another way the lead singer wasn't even a member of the band at the time greg mumford who was only 16 years old was with a group called the shapes and he sang lead he, he but he was brought in to sing harmonies on this song but ended up doing the lead vocals he was not even a regular band member but ended up singing the tune that would rock it straight to number one in the united states and sell over a million copies despite its success Mumford never actually joined the group. That's <laughs> that's really great. See, the Monkees had problems like explaining to people why they didn't play in their album, uh, their first two records, and were bitching about wanting to play in their records, which they deserved to. Well, here's a band that has a member that lead sings a song that's not even in the band. 
He's not even in the band. Not even, it, it, it's, I mean, it's tough to go out. Well, we'd like to play tonight, but our lead singer's uh, taking a math test. <laughs> the group's guitarist who co-wrote this song was Ed King in 1970, an unknown band called Leonard Skinner opened some shows for the Strawberry Alarm Clock, and King got to know them in 1973. King joined Leonard Skinner on guitar. So, there you go. And as far as the cultural impact of this song, it was used in such movies as Valley of the Dolls in 1970, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, and Recess Schools Out. The song is also featured in several episodes of... The Simpsons. So, pretty cool, oh, pretty I, cool. I, thought, I was waiting until we were going to get a moment when we get to hear you sing, because I'm tired of the entertaining oh, I love to sing. I, I can tell why. <laughs> What's that mean? I don't know. It's just, it just sounds like that you'd like to sing, and you said, The Simpsons, and you did it better than I did. So, I love to sing. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and we want everybody to notice that this week with these songs, that even though Strawberry Alarm Clock, Amazing Records, is our only number one of the week. It definitely was number one. So there's that discussion. It's like, what made, what made this a number one song versus uh, any of the other songs that weren't? I mean, I don't think... Uh, was 96 Tears number one? Well, let's, let's, let's go over through it real quick. Okay. Uh, Time Won't Let Me was number five. No number one. Uh, number. Five O'Clock World was number one on WLS in Chicago. Ah. And number one in Canada on the singles chart, but only number ten on the national charts. Okay. Chicago going. Yeah, there you are. That's why I know the song. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Let's see. American Breed peaked to number five on the U.S. singles charts. You Were On My Mind, number three. Uh, so Sad About Us did not. Talk Talk did not. Can't See My Friends. Nope. And 96 Tears did not go to number one. So, so far the only number one actual song here is Strawberry Alarm Clock with Incense and Peppermints. Good, good catch, Marty. Good catch. Uh, well, it's interesting. Here's a Marty treat. Hey! Damn it. I keep them don't, on my desk right here. Don't bark again. I'm quitting the show. I swear <laughs> you, I'm not a barker anymore. I quit that. <laughs> Damn it. I keep a whole jar of Marty oh, treats. Yep. So. See, I don't hiccup. Oh, I bark. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, get a drink of water. I mean, <laughs> really. Hold your ears between <laughs> our last song of the day, folks. <laughs> Our next track and last song is a Marty pick. I Couldn't Live Without Your Love by the lovely Petula Clark. Oh. Marty, I, what makes what? this song an amazing record? Well, you know, they. the thing about it is, is that there were two different kinds of schools of thought in the popular records of the 60s. One was the standards, uh, which were Sinatra, Dean Martin, uh, Ray Charles... You know, what's weird is that Petula Clark was always one of those uh, singing, uh, like Dusty Springfield. She had complete production. She had songwriters. She picked. She helped pick the songs, and then they would do these great productions. And 
there are songs by her that are are great. There are songs by her that are not so great. There are songs that, are, but they're always they're always produced extensively and professionally like no other in their era. So her songs sound incredible. And the thing I love is the opening of the piano. And the song is talks about a girl that was, you know, didn't really like this guy at first and then ends up just not being able to live without her, his love. And for me, there's records and that come together. The, the antithesis would be So Sad About Us. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's just a jangly, unorthodox, beautiful mess. This is very well organized, very well rehearsed, and sung very well. It's more of 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 what would come out of a recording machine of the era, the, in terms of the industry. I love the song. I love her voice on it, and it's always been one of my favorites. And I do love Petula Clark. And and as Monkees fans, uh, we are familiar with the Wrecking Crew. To me, this song sounds like one of those songs, and I believe it might have been. Actually, this song kind of sounds like a Monkees song. I could imagine Davy doing this. Oh, let me see. Let me see if that would work. Hold on. Didn't like you much when I first met you, <laughs> but somehow I knew I couldn't quite get you. And the hours alone that I'm without you All I ever do is think about you Yeah, you know, it might work. Yeah? But, yeah. I mean, he could have done it. I couldn't live without uh, your, your love. love. Yeah, but they already had uh, a song that, that's... Yeah, you know, that would have been Cheer Up Sleepy Jean, I Couldn't Live Without Your Love. Yeah, it, it would have had that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. But then again, it didn't happen, so... Right, I mean, what right. the hell were we doing here? <laughs> and now Marty on Hambone doing his version of... No, uh... <laughs> <laughs> now, I sang, I sang that Davy thing with pure reverence. Don't... This, I don't want any mail. No, I, that, was, that was love. It's done with love. It's Everything we do uh, here, done with love. Oh, immense and honest and true. We, we serve it up. With well, a side of love. Serve it up. <laughs> well, let's listen to I Couldn't Live Without Your Love by the lovely Petula Clark.
I think that this has been an interesting episode of Amazing Records. Absolutely. And it's great to uh, spend some time talking about some, you know, great groovy records. Two groovy guys talking about some groovy records. Uh, let us know what you think on the Zilch page. And we're not uh, taking the place of Zilch or anything. This is just a supplemental kind of thing. And we're going to do this as often as we feel like it. So that's you know, our that's our know, like, tough work like schedule. The old days when you used to get a magazine and you'd open it up and there was a bonus magazine in the magazine. That was like very short and not obnoxious. Well, I don't like know. I don't know if either of us are that short and obnoxious. But what about? Actually, I'm short. He's obnoxious. Okay. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> a box of cereal. You know what we are? We're the we're, we're the, the peanuts box and a prize. That's what you get in amazing records. Yep. We're the cracker back jocks. Yeah, I don't know if that sounds right. Well, I meant like DJ jocks. Like silverback jocks. That's right. There mean. you go. All right. Well, we want to thank you for taking some time with us and we hope that you had an amazing time listening to amazing records let us know on facebook tell your friends about us and keep listening for more episodes of this and zilch a monkey's podcast you ready to go away marty they're you know they're actually coming to take us away right <laughs> all right we'll be amazing to one another and thanks for listening ha <laughs> See ya. I remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave. And that's our show. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein. It's their, it, it is definitely their best known version. Um, <clears throat> yeah.